Welcome to a brand new episode of Third Degree Burn. My name is Brian Hughes, and today we've got a shortened staff. That's right. We're going to talk some Superman, and it's just going to be three of us. Who do we got? We got Tim Elliott. Hello. Say hi, Sugar Lips. (laughs) Hey, you're Sugar Lips, not me. Don't try to pawn your nickname off. Don't talk. Oh, you're talking about Kirk? (laughs) No, no. Call me T-Bone. No, wait, wait, wait. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Call me quick sell. Okay. Anyway, we also have with us our good friend, Kirk Greenfield. Say hi, Kirk. Good morning, folks. How are you doing? I hope they're doing fine. So what Listen. do we got on the burner today? Oh, I like that. I like that, Brian. Did you do that on purpose? It just came out. Oh, I like that. You need to immediately go and patent that. Um, on the burner. <laughs> on the burner. All right, well, let's cool it down just a little bit for me. Mm. Oh, man, he's hot today, isn't he? Yes. It was he's 108 on, on Friday. It was 106 yesterday. But as I understand it, we're going downhill, and, like, tomorrow it's not even going to get over 90. I'm, I'm ready for wow. that. I'm ready you to. Guys are get, you're going to get some rain, aren't you? Or is it cloudy? Again, it's Texas. It's evaporating before it even hits us. Apparently that really happens here in Vegas. They'll have they, Vegas has what's called a monsoon season, and it'll rain, but it it evaporates where it hits the ground. So it's raining above you, and it never you never get wet. I guess there's supposed to be a good chance of rain in some areas, but really, it uh, you know I, I don't know about that. Like sixty percent chance later today, but I don't know. We'll see. And again, it's always scattered. We, you know, we know this guy who's a weatherman who could explain it better for us. But I'm not going to bother him with that because he probably gets it's, paid good for that. It's, 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 day called, off. it's called Virga, evaporating before it reaches the ground. Virga, look at that. Really a, is that really cool. a thing? Oh. Yeah, it's a real thing. Wow. Cool. Yeah. Now, now I'll is send you any, my bill. I got to ask you, Tim. <laughs> is there any place in Vegas where they take bets on if it's going to rain or not? <laughs> Probably. I'm sure they bet on everything here. That's true. But whether it rains or not, that's that's probably not a good bet because, like I said, it, it's there's always no chance of it raining. And I don't know when the, I don't know when it starts. I know right now we're kind of at the hottest point, and it's supposed to start cooling off in September, and it'll get quote cold. Uh, but it, it, I think in in November, December, it get, it can get down to the 40s here. 
Yeah, I, I was just looking at like the ten day forecast. Like yesterday was the hot. It was really really hot. Friday was hotter, but since then it's going down into the nineties and it's staying there. And it yeah. seems, seems to be just gradually going down. So hopefully the worst is behind us. We're moving forward. The dog days are done. Let's talk about comics. All right. Well, to get us back on track, uh, what we are going to cover today is we're going to cover Little Superman. Little? Little Superman, yeah. That would have well. been a Superboy story. This isn't that. <laughs> He's kind of big. It's, it's, it's kind of a Superboy story. I mean, I mean, he kind of he kind of ties into it. But you know, the thing is, is that with, with this Superman, that that and this is Superman Volume Two, Number Twenty Two, that we're talking about. Volume and Two. Volume Two, yeah. Because Volume oh, One. Oh man, was I went that. all the way back to Volume One. Ah <laughs> oh, man, I studied the wrong book. <laughs> you sound like Doctor Bill. Son of a bitch. <laughs> Except you didn't say son of a. Well, anyway, but, <laughs> but the, my point is, is that you know, and, on the burn run. Uh, of Superman action comics and adventures of Superman is that his Superman was so much physically more imposing than I think any other Superman we've seen, at least up to that point. And so he's not a little Superman, not at all. No, <laughs> we're going to cut right. He's not a little Superman. We're going to cover, uh, uh, we're, we're going to cover one book, but I, when I get my synopsis, I'm going to kind of cover the two books leading up to it to give somebody kind of a framework as to where he's at and what we're covering. So we're kind of covering three books, but not really. And this is controversial, too. I mean, this is, um, in the modern age, it's definitely, uh, you know, is considered one of the first controversial Superman issues beyond Man of Steel number one. And Man of Steel number one just being controversial because it was a complete paradigm shift in yeah. the Superman mythos and everything that we knew about him. More yeah. more controversial even than the events of Crisis on Infinite Earths. Well, yeah, there was, there was. I mean, and that I'm sure this has been rehashed over and over and over. But one, this is, let's say that this is Burns' last. Uh, uh, he gets off. He jumps off the book after this. So this is his last issue. Um, but it's been a little bit of a lot of discussion on people that loved his iteration of Superman and others that thought, you know, he, he didn't understand the character and he was kind of changing him too much. So there's, I mean, that that's going to happen, I think, with any any kind of a, 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 I mean, I wouldn't even call this a soft reboot. This is a kind of a major overhaul uh, of Superman. So this is my, this is where I kind of got onto Superman. So to me, this is kind of my Superman. Mm -hmm. But I don't, you know, I guess I can't, I, I don't understand why people that have say were reading him up to up to Crisis would necessarily be upset about this except that it's, that's not carrying forward i mean the, the, the only difference is that he's not quite as um silly if that's i mean i i really haven't read those those issues back you know before pre-crisis so uh, i mean his character's not really changed is it well and and i think that's that's part of the point you know the 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 character didn't change he was superman in the feel of the character but when john byrne took over uh you know, with Man of Steel and then the regular series, Superman's universe got a lot smaller. And while Byrne was on there for, you know, a few years, he never got to expand the universe outside of Earth very much. We had the forays out with the Hawk, Hawkman and Hawkwoman or the Green Lanterns that we saw in action comics. 
But for the most part, while Byrne was running Superman, he didn't have this intergalactic presence, uh, you know, with with all the other races and everything that was out there. The Superman that we knew from before in the sil in the Silver and Bronze Age was known almost the universe wide as the greatest hero ever, and well, that, he lost a lot of that. Well, the whole I mean, I guess you could say that the entire DC universe got a little smaller. Because they took all of that right. bank history and kind of crammed it into one box, and it was slowly going to kind of expand out of that. It, as it, it got bigger as it – like we're starting over again, and then everything kind of got bigger. So Byrne was still at the beginning, and he wasn't able to uh, – to, you know, if he'd stayed on the book, say, another three years, like, you know, so he did five or six years on it, he might have reached out and had more. But I don't know. He, he teamed, seemed to want to have – Almost like a Nolan, like a Chris Nolan take on Superman. He wanted to be able to explain things, a little more, things to be more realistic, more grounded, uh, not quite so, you know, you've got 15 different shades of kryptonite that do 15 kooky things to Superman, that kind of thing. He wanted, he was kind of uh, brushing all that aside and getting back to more simplified approach to it. Yeah. And, and I mean, if he'd been able to do it, you know, normal without having to reboot Superman. Now, I mean, the the, the need to reboot Superman was definitely uh, it, it was needed because it, even up to that point, 1986, Krypton and everything about it still looked like the Flash Gordon, you know, aesthetic. You know, and and mm -hmm. you know the, that that false future kind of uh, look and everybody with the headbands and and whatnot. So him bringing Krypton up to date. You know, as something that was wholly alien was was something that was needed. Now, as far as, you know, getting rid of all the barnacles, you know, he did that. Unfortunately, it also caused a major restructure of the DC universe in how it affected Legion of Superheroes, Supergirl, I, and other characters that fans really, really loved. And I think that was the biggest, I think the biggest uh, complaint, I guess we're going to say, complaint or concern is that he got... He did away with Superboy, and that that affected, like you said, the Legion of Superheroes and a lot of other things. So that was, and he kind of uh, he tried to, I think, rectify that by I know he was he had to bring Supergirl back in, which he does. Kind of we'll talk about in the issue we're going to cover. But mm -hmm. uh, this, you know, this wasn't. I guess some people think this this wasn't Burns' idea. He didn't go to DC and say, "Hey, let me." Redo Superman. Then Wolfman go to him after yeah. he found out that he'd left Marvel and said, "Hey, I think you can do this. This is what we need to do. I think you can do it." And he pitched his ideas to DC, and they said, "Yeah." Well, you know, DC actually went to Burn, and they wanted him to do his own Crisis on Infinite Earths before Wolfman and Perez did. Really, and I didn't. So, I had not yeah, heard there that. Was, there was discussion back and forth for a long time on on things. And it was only, I think, after things at uh, Marvel were getting really bad uh, and his relationship with Shooter was, was as strained as it was that he decided to go ahead and work for the Distinguished Competition. And, and again, this is part of this is speculation on my part. I may be talking out of my butt on part of that. And if that's the case, I'm sorry. But it, I mean, it's just the the but the, the the crisis story is one that we're very aware of, and we also know of the the uh, the troubles that he did have with with Shooter, 
but you know the the methods of the change itself and I know it's documented out there and I haven't gotten everything because I was trying to find more specific information on this particular you, issue you, which was yeah really you, you you can I mean what I what I've been able to just kind of gather from some of the interviews and and stuff I found online that he he it seems like he people would ask you know why did you leave early and some of the stories are well th you know he laid out what he wanted to do and DC said yes or I've heard that they, they agreed to like 99% of what he wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And then they kind of backtracked later and said, no, 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 you can't do that. They changed their mind. And But he also seems like he'll say, well, I was brought on board to to retool, revamp Superman, kind of get him started again. So it sounded like he, what, he didn't plan to stay on for a, a long time, just to kind of get, lay the groundwork and then he mm -hmm. would move on. So I don't know if he... Uh, uh, if it became not fun anymore, and that's why he decided to leave. Well, he had said that he wanted you know, his plan whenever he gets on any book is to do a hundred issues. Now we yeah. haven't seen that with any any book. Fantastic Four is as far uh, that we saw in that. Now again, in his Superman work, he was on there for what two two years, but he did you know the twenty two issues of Superman. He did uh, what sixteen issues of Action Comics. Or am I am I getting that wrong? He started oh, at five eighty four and went to six hundred. And you know, and then uh, you know, there were some issues he worked in. Of course, he did a lot of writing um, in uh, the Adventures of Superman, and so mm -hmm. he put in a lot of time. Still doesn't add up to a hundred issues, but uh, you know, it, it's a good body of work regardless. When he left, you know, I mean, it was again because. You know, he he was sold a bill of goods, and they didn't deliver on it to him that they said they would. And the biggest, uh, the biggest part of that was, is that as soon as you walked into any store, where you could see Superman stuff out there in different forms of media, you walk into a party store and you saw the the aisle where they have all the superhero stuff, and all the Superman stuff was Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, or Ramona Freighton for that matter. It, you yeah. know, it wasn't, you know, his stuff. They didn't buy into all of his stuff, you know, from the very beginning. And that can be very disappointing. But how much of that is is uh, strictly uh, financial? Because if they already have the artwork that they can put on something, then they have to, they have to retool it and, and to, to go with his. Do they, do they necessarily have to? I mean, I think you could probably say the same for Spider-Man, probably the... the the stuff you would see, even when other uh, artists were were on the book, they were still going back with probably Ramita or maybe uh, uh, not Ron Lim, um, friends or friends. well, but yeah, you got yeah, you did get a lot of McFarlane stuff. I think that was because he was so his look was so different. Then of course later, once uh, Bagley got on it, Bagley stuff is everywhere. But uh, yeah, I, I I heard that Wolfman went to him and said. Uh, you're basically there are two Supermans. There's the one they're licensing, and then there's yours. What the one you're doing? So I don't know if that, and and I don't know if that does that hurt Burns' ego? Does it? I mean, does does he lose out a lot of money because they're not licensing something he drew? Is it just they made a big deal out of it when he came on board? I mean, you saw yeah. the the Today Show article the, they when they yeah. did the 50th anniversary. Of course, they. Yeah had him be the guy that's interviewed. I mean, they brought him in there to jumpstart Superman and to, to don't, you know, to make him this young, vital, happy 
Superman, like like the Christopher Reeve type Superman, and we got that feeling from it. We loved it. And yeah, of course there was people that that didn't like the things. You know, there's people. There's always going to be those that are well. It's not my Superman. And I think you know Emily Middleton was the one that that you know made made the very I, I don't want to say very recent comment, but a recent comment about headcanon. And I think it's important to realize that every single person, like their thoughts on faith, have their thoughts on Superman, Spider-Man, Batman, the way that they see him in their head. And for every single person, it's different. So, yes, there's going to be people that are happy. There's going to be people that aren't. Me? That, and that's that's the nature yeah. of the... You, you, know, you can't get yeah. away from that. Yeah. So, again, this, to me, though, is a great Superman. It's a smaller universe Superman, and maybe they were going to, you know, expand him as time went on, but did as many readers stay with Superman once Byrne left? I don't know. I did. I, I think I stuck around uh, because that was kind of leading. Then I dropped off, then I came back for uh, for death, and then mm -hmm. dropped off again after that. What about uh, you, so Kurt? I kind of came and went. Oh, I was here for uh, for Burns, Man of Steel, and and Superman, but I did not realize he was leaving after twenty two, and I stayed on uh, for a while to the conclusion of uh, this story arc, and and I think the the introduction of the Eradicator and and Matrix the for a while, a couple of years before I drifted away, and was probably uh, not reading Superman for quite some time until the death of Superman storyline came up with all its publicity and the fact that it was written by uh, Stern, so I came back for that. Uh, we did something on the air about that locally here, too. Wow. Yeah, I, I I don't know that I stayed with Superman. I mean, I kind of was off and on, but I missed his uh, a lot of his uh, space travels and, and uh, the, when he came across the new version of Mongol. And uh, which is a surprise because Mongol was one of my favorite villains. But I kind of get the feeling that that his Mongol was just not going to be that Mongol was not going to be as impressive as Starlin's Mongol. Mm -hmm. But uh, so, well, but I mean, his what the groundwork he laid stayed was kind of canon for about twenty years until was it Superman Rebirth. They kind of added new yeah, information they, or kind of revamped it a little bit. Well, no, Rebirth actually brought the burn era Superman back and uh, you know, with, with, with his son and the, it was, I guess uh, what Morrison's Superman or the, the or Jeff John, I forget somebody had done a, another Superman origin uh, even before Bendis did his here. Maybe that's not rebirth. It's, it's something I read that, you know, but, it, basically his canon yeah. was around for about 20 years. Yeah. until 2006 and then brought back for rebirth but I, I mean, again, you know, it's it, it it is what it is. I mean, they 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 ran away from a, a number of of Burns concepts, uh, you know, just it, within a couple of years, because uh, a lot a lot of writers did not want to use the as uh, as Burns joked about in what the uh, Superman's double talk aura. <laughs> they they just couldn't capture the the essence of what that was, and to me, it's something that's so very obvious, but. Uh, there are just a lot of writers that, that weren't able to glom on to that particular uh, facet of Superman's abilities. 
Well, I'll say this. This does, uh, from reading the two, because uh, he did, the two, well, he did all of Burns' issues, but reading the, the this issue and then the 21 before it, because Adventures he just wrote. But you can tell that it seems like he's having fun with what he's drawing. That seems to come through with his artwork. And I'd forgotten because I have, you know, we even though we have covered some Superman not too long ago, when you read it, you seem like he's having a good time. It seems like he's enjoying what he's drawing uh, and that that doesn't necessarily come through with other works of his, that he seems like he's doing it, but he doesn't seem to be having as good a time as he did when he was doing um, doing this. So I think that shows in the artwork. And nothing better than, than Burns' use of uh, Superman's cape. I, I think that... that his work, you know, really expanded cape dynamics. Uh, and there's a master class on how to draw capes in the superhero world. Um, I mean, you're, you're not going to go with McFarlane's Spawn cape? The ever-changing... The ever-expanding cape that <laughs> can cover Alaska? <laughs> I mean, you know, he, did it, he did it with Batman, too. You know, when he, when he did, you know, Batman Year 2 or those couple issues of Batman comics... Uh, in the 80s, you know, it's like where just the cape was everywhere, and you're just like, how does he control that? You know, yeah. like, I, I think well, that's where Chris Nolan got his idea for the bat cape in the, <laughs> in those movies. Well, I think it it I think it 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 falls in place with Burn has always been very conscious of actual clothing, and his clothing we've mentioned several times mm-hmm. is always kind of on point. It's 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 top it's um con, it's contemporary, and he treated the cape. The way I think he took a lot of pains to treat the cape like this is a real cape and this is how it would act with him flying or moving. You know, it's not a static piece; it just kind of hangs behind him or, or flares out when he's flying. So he took a lot of pains to uh, really make it dynamic. That's a good question to ask him: is how did he come up with his cape dynamics? Yeah. All right, guys, homework. Someone needs to ask Vern this on on his website. That's right. All right. Do we want to? Uh, you guys got anything else you want to? I, I got one little thing I want to bring up mm-hmm. that we could spend thirty seconds on. All right. And I don't think have either of you watched Lower Decks, the new Star Trek animated. I watched the first episode. Did you? I caught the preview. Are you the teaser? Uh, the teaser. Yeah. Uh, that's it. Well, if Kirk's gonna watch it, I don't really want to spoil anything. No, I'm not. Okay. I'm not subscribed to it. Go ahead. Okay. Well, if you well, here's the thing. If you have, you can watch it on Pluto TV, which is a free channel. They show it. You can watch it for free. Um, First episode on it, YouTube also. Is it okay? Yeah. What, what did you uh, uh, What did you think, Brian? Uh, I'm gonna give it another chance, but I, I just, I, it was just so. St- it's like they want to be Seth MacFarlane, uh, <laughs> you know. In 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 the actual Star Trek universe, they want to be Seth MacFarlane there, you know. Just, and but it was a little too silly, you know. I don't. I, I don't. I, but I, okay. I, I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it more try. I hear, you know. I keep hearing great things, and even Burn himself said that it wasn't. It didn't suck. 
And so I'm like, okay, I, I, I just, I'll have to give it another try. My wife watched it with me, and she says, it's okay. Let's, we'll, we'll, we'll check out the next one. So Yeah, we watched both, uh, which is funny because Hillary thought the first one was kind of, she kind of chuckled a couple times. We watched the second one, and she's like, I don't, you know, I'm not really uh, getting into this show. I didn't, I didn't, I think the separate of the fact that it's supposed to be Star Trek, if it wasn't Star Trek at all, remove that completely. It's just a show exactly like it is. It's just not very funny. If it's meant to be funny, it's not very funny. Uh, I think the humor is kind of broad. It's not. It's not Futurama. I always thought Futurama was clever and funny, and they were playing with kind of sci-fi tropes. This is doing the same thing, but it's supposed to be Star Trek, and it's supposed to be canon. So it's not. You know, and I don't want to sound like one of those guys that this is not Star Trek, but it doesn't. It doesn't feel like Star Trek. So I don't. I don't know. It's 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 what I think this show is what everybody thought the Orville was going to be. They thought the Orville was going to be this really poking fun and laughing at Star Trek. And the Orville's not. I mean, the Orville has, I think, some kind of cringeworthy jokes in there. But at its heart, it's more Star Trek than what we're getting right now. Someone described it on Burnside as uh, it's Joey Simmons described it as the next generation's fun next door neighbor. <laughs> And Burns says that's a good way to describe it. He goes, I especially like the absence of the self-consciousness that has dogged all the Star Trek iterations that followed TOS. Well, it does, and I, and I was kind of, I, I messaged Andy Leyland a little about this because I asked him about some stuff earlier, and, and I said, you know, what do you think about Lower Decks? And after he watched the first one, he didn't, he didn't really like it. Uh, and he said, you can't, you can't just name drop a bunch of Star Trek stuff and call yourself Star Trek. You know, you can't, you know, anybody can go on Wikipedia and find out, oh, these are Star Trek things. Let's drop them into the script. And now we're Star Trek. No, it has to be with, uh, you can leave all that stuff out. And it's just some of the characters are not, are not very, uh, I think some of the, the, the messaging is a little wrong about, you know, start just, you know, the, well, I don't want to, well, the, the way they treat Starfleet is a little more, the, the the lower deck the 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 one main character I can't remember her name she's uh you know well officers are just stuffy and all they care about is glory and who wants to be one of them you know we don't want to strive to be that we want to be freewheeling and yeah. fun and and yeah, there's uh, a couple good messages in it yeah I you know and, and that's I, I found some things interesting with that along the way so you know that there is character development and the, and the reveal that they had at the end of the first episode was kind of like oh, okay, well, that makes sense now. And then all of a sudden I started thinking about the Kelsey Grammer movie, uh, uh, what was it, Low, uh, Up Periscope. Mm -hmm. And it, it just started realizing that it's got a lot in common with that. And I really yeah, enjoy they, that movie. Yeah, they're the, they're the, the, it's, they're the scrappy, we really know what's going on. The guys above us don't. Um, but, I don't. I mean, I don't. There's got to be on every starship the guy that cleans out the toilets. Going, when am I going to be on the bridge? When am I going to be on the bridge? Are you, are you telling me they don't have in the 23rd century? And that's another thing with the timeline. I don't know if this is. And I say cleaning toilets. I just mean there's scut work to be done. You watch Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. There's a scene where Kirk and Spock are walking through Starfleet headquarters, and there's a guy cleaning the floor. True, and that would be probably done by some kind of a Roomba now. That you'd have some kind of a. Uh, you've seen them. You ever seen those little bots in 
Walmart and Target that go around. Yeah, and just we, we had one almost run us over yesterday. It was a, <laughs> yeah. an inventory bot. Yeah, and so uh, they had one of those. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I just heard some guy walk by going stealing human jobs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, again, you know, this is one of those things that I, I think we have to give it some time to actually see where it's going. But yeah, there's those people on the lower decks and I'm about to go into an old routine that Sean Kaufman and I did years and years ago. My late friend Sean Kaufman and I came up with this. And it was basically, you know that there's those people on the lower decks, the lifers, the guys have been in Starfleet all their life, but they've never been out in space, you know, beyond being in a spaceship itself. They've never gone down to the planets or whatever. They're just the, the, you know, spaceman Beaumont, you know? And like, like, you know, there's a conversation that goes on in, in, you know, the, 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 off, the, not the officers, but the, but the mess where the, the, the new guy just came on board to go, Hey, Hey, spaceman Beaumont, what you eating there? Uh, meatloaf, you sure about that? Cause you know where that comes from, right? The the food replicator. No, but do you know where the food in the food replicator comes from? Well, the computer. No, no, you got to understand. All that food is just energy going through the ship, all over the ship. And when you decide what you want to make, you tell it to the computer, and it makes your meatloaf. But in all essence, what you got to understand is that we can't take in, uh, the energy from, like, the warp core. we got to get it from somewhere else. And that is what's known as the matter reclamation system. So when, you know, Agent Simmons over there goes into the bathroom, that gets turned right into energy. You know, you could be eating her crap right now. Hey, where are you going? Anyway. That's that's funny. <laughs> and that's but it, to me, that's more of a Saturday Night Live skit. Yeah. It's not... Uh, I mean, yeah, there are there. I'm sure there are plenty of blue collar people. I got uh, five bucks says that they do that a, a similar routine to what I just did on this show. Oh yeah, I, I have no <laughs> doubt. There I do that. There, I, you know, there are people like Chief O'Brien. They are the the blue collar guys, you know. Yeah. And I and I and I honestly wouldn't mind. Um, I, I think you can. Uh, we're getting way off tangent here, but I think you can make. You can make a Star Trek show, at least one I would like to watch, that's just about average guys. Because the thing about Trek is, you, other than DS9, you never got to see a lot of what civilian life is like. We saw everything through Starfleet. So we saw what Starfleet people right. uh, lived. We never got to see much about just, you know, Joe Schmo living on Earth. Uh, but you could do a kind of a Lower Decks type uh, show that's about like the chief O'Briens and the other petty officers that do the, some of the kind of grunt work, but it doesn't have to be a comedy. You can have, I mean, Star Trek can have humor in it, but it doesn't need to be a comedy. But, but that, I mean, that's the, the great thing about all fandom and I wish more fans would realize this is there's so much out there that if I, I don't like this, if I absolutely hated it, it doesn't matter because there's plenty more Star Trek for me that I can go and look at or watch and enjoy and say, this is, I like this. That's somebody else's Star Trek, and they can enjoy it, and they can hate my stuff. So that's what's great about it. Well, the thing that's that's that I like about this is that it is, it's basically it's pulling in some new people, all right, and it's giving them a lot of information about these people, and they can find it interesting. But they say, wait, what are they talking about, Kirk and the Gorn, or or, or all this stuff? So they're going to go back and they're going to check out TOS or TNG 
or you know, or Deep Space Nine. They're going to find other Trek that they're going to like as a result of watching a show like this because it's a name dropper. I, I I would I would hope so. I mean, it's when I when I first saw it, we first sat down and watched it. Vanilla was like, well. It's just Star Trek for people who don't like Star Trek. I like well, that, that. makes no sense at all, does it? But see, I've like, heard that though. I have heard that. But that doesn't make sense. Why would you kind of ignore? That's like saying uh, this is sports for people who don't like sports. Well, that doesn't make sense either. But but well, fantasy football is Dungeons and Dragons for people that don't like yeah, Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. But <laughs> you have but you have to under kind of understand sports some. If you're going to do fantasy football, um, you know, but that's that's it, we're we're not a fantasy football, we're not a Star Trek podcast, we're not a Lower Decks podcast. What are we? We are a John Byrne podcast. So let's talk some. Oh wait a minute. Speaking of uh, Star Trek, the original series, just as a sidelight, last night's episode on MeTV was Charlie X. Yeah. A really, really interesting early early series. Uh, science fiction story that uh, that stands the test of time. Oh, but, absolutely. Uh, it's also one of the original eight that have Yeoman Rand in it, and she's used effectively in that story. And now we can move on. Mm-hmm. I, I, I will say before we jump into this, uh, I watched uh, Project Power. Uh, hmm. I believe on, I think it's on Netflix right now. I don't know what that is. And uh, it's it's an interesting movie. It's a it, it's. Uh, uh, well, I mean, it's a cop movie with Jamie Foxx and uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. But uh, what it is is the new drug going around is a drug that will give anybody superpowers for five minutes. Interesting. And uh, is, it, is it is it kind of tongue in cheek or is it serious? No, oh, it's serious. it's serious. It's serious, it, but it's uh, it's it pretty cool. Kind of, is it dark? Like, have you watched The Boys? Report, yeah. uh, the it doesn't get that kind of dark. It's not black okay. humor or anything like that, dark humor like that. But uh, it, it's it definitely it's taking itself seriously. Hmm. Not too seriously. Is this an ongoing? No, just one. I mean, all I see is this one movie. Someone tried to what? say it was a series, but the movie was an hour fifty three minutes. And what's and, it called? Power. Power. Uh, Project Power. Project Power. Oh, power Project. But yeah. Um, again, it was it was quite enjoyable. Last night I watched American Ultra, which uh, was was also a decent movie. I was actually surprised on that one. That's got um, uh, Jesse Eisenberg, you know Lex Luthor from the uh, Batman v Superman in it, and Chris the the uh, Christian is it Stewart, the girl from the Twilight movies. Yes. And both of them, I didn't hate at all. Like I, I, I didn't, really, I didn't, didn't, didn't like them in the other movies. But no, they were both fine in that one. It was a, a good movie about oh. a sleeper project kind of thing. Oh, interesting. I've heard, but the, I haven't watched it. One of the questions about uh, Project Power is, if these drugs are illegal, if these drugs so overpower the cops by up, upgrading the the criminals for five minutes at a time, at what point do you draw the line and say no? Nobody else should be using this, or do you, you know, do you succumb to temptation, and do you take the drug so that you can match them? Well, that's the, the argument about if the criminals are going to have AK-47s, do we also arm yeah. the cops? But that's with, the problem with, with the, the drug sort of itself: is that for some people, yes, it gives them superpowers, but it's unpredictable who's going to get what. Some people just explode. Some people just die. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, you don't, you don't know if you're going to be, you know, it, it's the whole thing of some people just can't handle their high. 
and that's you know the, the 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 thing with this stuff as well. So it you know it's like you just didn't know what was going to happen. And some people got superpowers that you know would were so powerful that they would eventually die as a result. Like someone could turn into ice, but they turned into ice and as a result died or shattered. You know it just well. I I don't think if it's five minutes you would have really have time to kind of terms of what your power is, how to use it to make it effective. I think. Well, and that was the thing. It's like you could sit there and take the pill. It wears off. Take another pill. And then you got five more minutes. Oh, but okay. Then you got like a guy that took three and oops, <laughs> that was an OD. You know, there's there's a certain amount of dose you can take for a certain amount of time. And it's for a reason. It was like I said, it's a it was a good movie. It made sense. It didn't have any moments that, was, that had you like, what? A um, lot of lot of fun. Uh, no, even, but it wasn't, it, it wasn't really a, one to comedy in any, any stretch of the imagination, even though you had Jamie Foxx as one of the lead characters. Um, good movie. Cool. Rings bells, strike force moratory. I was going to bring oh, that up. Yeah. We who are about to die. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And all bets were off. You didn't know if anybody was going to survive out of that series or who was next. Yeah. Anyway, back to comics. Back to comics. Okay. All right. Well, I, I've got the synopsis, so I will – what I'll do is I'm going to uh, kind of give a, a brief synopsis on the two issues leading up to this, and then I'll – we'll do the in-depth, and I'll do the uh, – you know, all the the uh, information on that and the other, other books that Byrne covered then. Okay? Does that sound cool? Okay. So this is a quick synopsis of Superman 21 – and Adventures of Superman 444, uh, which Superman 21, John Burns, writer-artist, and Adventure, he's just the writer with, uh, uh, I'm drawing a blank, I didn't write it down, who did the artwork uh, in Adventures. Jerry Ordway. Ordway. And I, I will bring up that I thought it was kind of cool, and I don't, I didn't go back and look the rest of them, but all three of these issues, they do kind of a widescreen format so that, yeah, it's all they're all they're not really double page spreads, but each panel uh, breaks the, the 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 spine and reads across. So you read all the pages you read is double pages, which is I thought was kind of cool. It gave it really kind of a, a larger scope. Yeah. Yeah. It was a yeah. good effect. Yeah. And it didn't detract from the story. Now, like when because, you know, when Burn was on Fantastic Four, he did some experimental issues. And one of them mm -hmm. was, was the all sideways yeah. issue in the negative zone that one kind of annoyed me uh and then that hulk issue that we were just talking about recently where uh it was up and down but it was two different stories at once mm -hmm. and and you know he was experimenting you know ar around this time and it can sometimes get annoying this is not one of those cases where i would it got annoying i thought it was i would think this might make it uh uh kind of a printing nightmare because you really have to make sure your both your pages line up mm -hmm. for it to look good. Anywho, all right. Synopsis uh, for these two issues. This is our, our kind of our preamble before we're going to cover. Superman has uh, Superman had encountered a being claiming to be Supergirl from another dimension. This is a pocket pocket universe. Uh, she was sent to Earth by Lex Luthor to gain his help to defeat three Kryptonian supervillains ravaging her Earth. He deduces she must be from the pocket universe he visited in Action Comics 591, where he met the Legion of Superheroes and Superboy. He agrees to help her out, and he travels to her Earth via a dimensional interface 
where he meets Lex Luthor, along with uh, Bruce Wayne, Hal Jordan, Oliver Queen, and Pete Ross, who are among the only remaining humans left alive. Lex, who was a good guy in this universe, explained that Superboy went missing 10 years ago, and in trying to locate the young hero, he inadvertently released three villains from the Phantom Zone, General Zod, Quex'ol, and Zaora. The villains, endowed with the powers far beyond those of mortal men, devastated the planet, and with Superboy gone, the humans fought back as best they could. Uh, over a course of 10 years, the villains ultimately devast- you know, destroyed the entire planet, and in one final uh, effort to destroy everyone, they fly into the planet's core, releasing superheated steam that rips away the atmosphere, killing all life on the planet except for the Smallville base. Superman vows to help them defeat Zora and his crew. Now the final chapter. So that's the two issues leading up to what we're fixing to cover. And some of that is also referenced from Superman number eight and uh, the Action Comics 591, where Superman went to the pocket universe, and this kind of explains. And this gets very, I was reading up on this, it's very kind of convoluted. I guess there's more story on this that was covered by, not by Byrne, but by somebody else. Um, well, Marv Wolfman was already off the books at this point, and Byrne was writing all three. Uh, unless there was something that was outside of the Superman books, I'm not sure what that was. My, my well, the copy I have only has the letters page uh, beyond this, and so I don't um, I don't see any well, other, what's going on in the other books. Well, I don't know if it's not necessarily in this in this run with these books, but it's you know a little bit of backstory. Superman uh, gets he meets Superboy from this pocket universe and he gets drawn into that world where he may, or he meets the Legion first. They think he's a, a grown up Superboy or, or something. He's been altered by red kryptonite and he, he kind of has a, you know, a Marvel typical Marvel fight. They have a fight. Then he realized, no, we, you know, we're just a misunderstanding. And then Superboy shows up and he tries to chase him as Superboy, who is like uh, from, the pre-crisis universe, so it's much more powerful than this, our Superman, and he tries to follow him by traveling through time, and Superman can't hold on. He falls, and he lands in this pocket universe, and it's found by Pete Ross, and he, they have kind of a big scuffle, but uh, Superboy attacks him because he thinks that if he doesn't defeat the Legion, all of the universe is going to be destroyed because the Time Trapper convinced him of this. And the whole thing with the time trap of creating these two worlds was, is that strictly pulled from these issues or is that, it was that, I mean, was the Legion stuff going on when this book was out? I yeah, never the, read Legion. There is, no. there is the, the death of a hero issue of Legion of Superheroes where Superboy dies. And, you know, they follow the aftermath of all that. And at this point, that is all the pocket universe stuff. But Does that take place after these issues after the well after the was it Superman number ten? Uh, is that right? Superman ten? No, eight is so, when he, he eight, fought yeah. the Legion. Yeah. yeah, so it's it's what happens after Superman eight, and the Action Comics uh, issue where he's you know with with Superboy that uh, he goes back and then Superboy dies, and sets you know that that series of uh, things in action. It's all part of the pocket universe. Right, which apparently the from what I read, the Time Trapper wanted to destroy the Legion, and to do that, he pulled a little sliver of 
like a, a millisecond of time, and in that he destroyed everything else except for Earth and Krypton, and and, and kind of manipulated them so that they would create a Superboy and uh, the Legion, so that when the Legion, I guess from pre-crisis world would go back in time they were going to the pocket universe is that right that's the way it was supposed to be i, no, I think it was backwards i think it, well yeah the, the legion when they went back in time they would go to the pocket universe superboy that's that's right right so yeah. when okay so if you said the legion books were going concurrently with this book is that did they survive crisis or is there, that supposed to be pre-crisis that you're reading they did but i mean it didn't matter because you know again this was and I'm trying to remember if this is around the same time as the Prestige books that came out for, like, Teen Titans and Legion. Uh, everything changed after that, and then they did five years later. But I, I dropped out of Legion uh, basically right after Keith Giffen, Giffen left. I've uh, never read a single Legion book, so I have no knowledge of them at all. Well, again, you know, it's like, uh, it, it, you know, for everybody else, it's their own cup of tea. There's Legion books that I read when I was a kid because that was what was at the comic book. I mean, at the uh, the newsstand or the Utotem or the drugstore that I went to to yeah. get comic books. And, I don't... and those were all, I mean, that's when Keith Giffen first took over the art chores from Pat Broderick. And we started, we got the Great Darkness Saga, which... If there's any point in Legion's history that you should read, that's it. That right there is it. Uh, when Keith Giffen starts and goes on through the Great Darkness Saga, he creates a... I mean, it's it's all there. It's all been there. Stuff that Mike Grell, Dave Cockrum, Paul Levitz, and others have created over the years. This, this wonderful, large universe that the Legion inhabits. You've got all the planets that are... A part of the the and I don't remember if it's the Federation of Planets or whatever it was, and uh, the the science police of Earth and and such, but it was a a a, a very uh, organic universe that that Giffen was showing you in every panel, uh, and this is before he went on his French style, hmm. so he was Not more to... he was more aping a little bit of Neil Adams. Um, at this point, but it was gorgeous. I have to check some of those out. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll help you with that. Okay. Anyway, did Kirk? Did you? Are you a Legion reader, or do you, uh, or should I say, fan? I've been in and out at various times. Typically, when Burn has drawn them, but I'm not well versed at all. Yeah, Burn himself kind of was never a fan of the Legion. Uh, he thought that they were masters of super dickery. <laughs> and, and and the thing is, what what he said was that uh, the first issue where they had Superboy trying out for the Legion, they were just complete and total dicks to him the way they did it because they ran him through an initiation and he had to do three tasks and he failed all three. They set him up to fail, and at the end they go, "We're just messing with you. You're you're one of us. You're part of the Legion. Come come on, let's all be friends and go." And the other thing that bothered him was how early early on. They actually have their names written on the front of their uniforms, you know, instead of just, you know, something symbolic. Well, they're always thought they were very uh, Silver Age or maybe even Gold Age. You know, their names and their powers were all kind of a little corny. But I know the people that like like the Legion love them. 
Yeah, well, I mean, it, and I liked them too. Even even the the older stories, um, they created some characters that were so uh, interesting, or in, in, introduced others that I really liked. A, a good example was Dev M, who was the last surviving Kryptonian, all the way up to the thirtieth century, and mm-hmm. he was sometimes a good guy, sometimes a bad guy. He kind of became one of those uh, spies or, or uh, espionage characters for uh for the good guys ultimately mm. uh but you see him in the great darkness saga and then there was characters like nemesis kid and nemesis kid had a superpower that basically whatever your power was he was like better than you so he he was <laughs> able to take on any legionnaire one-on-one and fight them to you know uh, you know de- defeat them all well he could defeat anybody he's he's a mary sue yeah, um, uh, well, or, uh, but the, the, but Marty got, Sue or whatever they come from. Yeah, males. well, he got defeated by a Mary Sue. So, okay. um, <laughs> but and and then there was Duplicate Boy. Now, Duplicate Boy was probably the most powerful character ever, and yet he was the dumbest character ever because he seemed to think that his power was to be able to duplicate the power of any other person, and so that's how he he packaged himself and did things but obviously he just had the power of doing anything oh well, it's kind of like the imagine um oh it's like the well it's a little bit like uh what was the guy's name from hero that would steal heroes that would steal other people's peter petrelli well that's him he oh could, siler siler yeah siler could could you know dissect their brain and somehow take their powers but yeah peter was could actually just take people's powers and and keep them yeah well we're sidetracking so much here (laughs) wait too much yeah where's where's the cowbell all right uh now we're gonna uh cover superman number 22 uh proper there we are all right this is uh this was cover date october 1988 uh sale date june 21st 1988 32 pages, 22 pages a story. It was a whopping 75 cents. Just look what you got for 75 cents. Uh, our writer artist is John Byrne. Our cover art's John Byrne. Our letterer is John Constanza. I mean, John Constanza. Uh, color is Petra Scotis. Yep. Uh, editor. Uh, some say Mike Carlin. Some say Mike Carlin and Renee Witterstrader. She was the assistant editor. Okay. And, uh, and the story is remember called... Remember that name, though. That's right. Uh, the story is called The Price. Wait a second. Wait a second. Aren't we missing something? Oh, uh, other books that Byrne was doing. And it's, all I could find was... Uh, this is not really his artwork, but it's uh, a reprint. It's classic X-Men number 26. Uh, Wolverine, 1A Wolverine Dead or Alive, which reprints X-Men 120. Mm-hmm. And he did in World of Metropolis number 3. He was the writer only. Uh, Mr. Kent goes to Metropolis. Is that the Magnolia, or did he do World of Krypton? No, I think that was uh, uh, either Dick Giordano or Kurt Schaffenberger. Let me take a look real quick and see if I got that. So that's all. He uh, he didn't have a lot of other stuff coming out. Um, and then we should say this is part three, although on the cover it's not branded, but the other two issues are. This is part three of the Supergirl saga. which is I odd. noticed they, that. Yeah, they did not put it on. There's no banner on this one. Okay. And our little synopsis goes like this. Uh, Superman, along with Supergirl, Lex Luthor, and his resistance team, confronts the three Phantom Zone criminals as they engage in a battle that results in great disaster. 
The Smallville Citadel is destroyed. All of Luther's team members are killed, and Supergirl is surprisingly melted. Lex secretly tells Superman to head towards Superboy's underground lab while he tends to distracting the Phantom Zone criminals. As the Man of Steel heads there, Quexel goes after him and pummels him into the ground, his strength obviously greater than Superman's. Upon reaching the underground lab where there is still air to breathe, Superman finds a hidden lead canister that contains the gold kryptonite and exposes it to Quixel, which removes his superpowers. Turning the underground lab into a prison and hiding the gold kryptonite sample in his cape, Superman also depowers General Zod and Zeora and captures them, letting them languish while he goes to find Lex Luthor, who is now mortally wounded. Before passing away, Luthor reveals to Superman two things. One, that Supergirl was really a protoplasmic matrix that he brought to life and given powers in the memories of Lana Lang, who was killed early in the war. And two, he failed to use the gold kryptonite due to the same kind of pride issue that his New Earth universe counterpart has with Superman. He wanted the destruction of the Phantom Zone criminals to be by his own hand. Luther makes Superman swear that he will not let the same disaster befall his world and take, take place on his own. And so forced with a difficult decision of what to do with the three depowered evil Kryptonians who have committed genocide on a global scale, he chooses to execute them by fatal exposure to green kryptonite, watching sadly as all three of them fall. After burying the body, Superman brings the melted Supergirl back to his own universe to be put in the care of his adopted parents while he goes off to contemplate over what he has done. The end. Okay, now... now when he comes to the end, quick question. When he contemplates, does he fly off from Earth at that point with a uh, hissing air bag, or is that later on down the the, the line? That comes in a, in a couple issues when he goes okay. out to space. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, thanks. Now, the the one thing that, that I did find is an interesting note after reading all this is that in pre-crisis Earth-1 reality, Green kryptonite would have no effect on any Kryptonian that was previously exposed to gold kryptonite. I, I read that, so it sh yeah, so it shouldn't kill them. Mm -mm. But I think the no prize could be that this is the if the time trapper kind of manipulated this. And this yeah. is sure it's pre-crisis, but it's not the pre-crisis. Then you could yeah. say that that uh, the kryptonite. And speaking of that, um, well, it it doesn't matter because it, as soon as they're dead. He takes them out and buries them in a lifeless, no atmosphere yeah, world. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, you know well, they're dead. <laughs> yeah, that, that, there's nothing he could do. Well, I think, uh, well, we kind of get to it, we go go our pages. But when he yeah. first depowers uh, Quicksell and he falls into that room, yeah. I think that would kill him. <laughs> I think he would splat. But um, what do you guys? This is a very iconic cover. I know we covered. We kind of talked yeah, about this. And, it Years makes ago. sense that they didn't have the the super you know Supergirl saga thing on here because I think it would have detracted. Um, right. Let me say this before we go into it though, and you know when I was a younger man and this book had just come out, um, and I noticed that it just had burn with the credit. There was no inker. That you know he did all the art chores and the writing himself. So I was like. When I after I'd finished the story, I was mad. I thought, yeah, he left the book. This was a sucker shot. This was his slap in the face to them. He just turned it all in and let them deal with it. 
And again, it was a younger man not knowing actually the, what was going on in there or anything. This is, it was an actual editorial decision that that would happen. It wasn't just John Byrne deciding Superman's going to kill. Yeah, I think that would be that. I think that you could misunderstand that or misinterpret that, as you said, if you think, oh, yeah. he's leaving, he's mad, and he's going to do something that, that well, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick over the sandcastle before I walk away. So it's. Uh, yeah, and, and, you know, it's like people, of course, have talked about Burns' ego and, and, and all this and everything, and that, that this is just a big example of it. And, oh, it's, you know, it's taking me years, just, you know, sitting there reading the guy and, and, you know, talking to him face to face as we've had. Um, you know, to to learn that that you know all isn't as it seems, and again, this was a definitely an editorial decision that Superman was going to kill, so that you didn't sit there and think that you know this is one of those unrealistic kitty books. I mean, again, you know, this is a guy that flies and you know can bend the course of mighty rivers, and that's not realistic in that. But you know, everything else that they could put into it to give it a sense of realism is there. While giving well, us a book about a guy that can fly and change the yeah. rivers. Well, I think it puts a lot of weight to the character. It mm-hmm. does because it's not a it's and it's not a it seems like a reaction to, oh, he's just a big blue boy scout. He, he's perfect. He never does. You know, he never he doesn't kill. He's not like Batman, you know, you know, or any other hero that he he uh, he never takes a life. But this is a situation where what. What is he to do? He can't. He can't leave him there. He, he, you know this. You make it. Maybe uh, he wow. consider this a mercy killing. He can't leave him on this earth. He can't take him back with him. He can't put him back in the Phantom Zone. And they just threatened um, him too. Yeah, and that. Yeah, that's and that's it. I mean, I don't know if he. If they had not done it, if they had been more. Uh, uh, they showed some some. Uh, remorse about what they had done and not boasted that, yeah, well, we're just going to get our powers back and we're going to do this to your earth. Uh, what would, uh, would he have done what he had done? Because in a sense, uh, and I'll say this, the villains in this are written pretty, uh, pretty broad. They're basically just all they, they just lust for, for murder mayhem. Cause why would they, if they want to rule the world, why would they destroy it? Well, they're ruling a, a uh, a devastated, uh, lifeless planet. Uh, so, and then there's we, had, we know in this pocket universe, there's no other planet. It's just Earth right now. They don't so know what, that though. They don't know that, right? Right. But, but, but it, do they live? Does he? Does Zod want to live to enslave the humans and be uh, be in this power mad um, uh, trip that he wants to maybe enslave them and, and be treated like a god? Or does he just want to, when that seems to be Zyora, she just wants to kill. That's all her motivation is. I just want to kill. So, and it, and it, it was kind of a last-ditch effort when the humans are fighting back and uh, they and they and they talk about, well, there's too many of them. We can't, it's like, it's like insects. We can't uh, defeat all of them. We can't, you know, uh, watch over all of them. So, like, well, we'll show them and they drill into the to the core and basically destroy destroy everything um and and he seems like when he threatens superman he says we're going to go to your planet and do the same thing it's not it's not really conquest it's just it's just chaos they just want to destroy and maybe that's maybe that's how they i don't i don't i mean my knowledge of general zod is from superman too right so i'll admit that i'll admit that uh 
so I don't know if he's if this is true to his character or well I mean the thing is Zod as a as a Kryptonian in the Phantom Zone has always been just that two dimensional uh, you know militaristic villain um, and I don't know that he was ever considered the great Kryptonian villain like he was made out to be in Superman and Superman 2 uh, you know, as he was in the comic books, he was just one of those guys. There was there was tons of Kryptonian villains, as it were. There was that professor and others that that were also used in a lot of those Silver Age stories that still bordered on the edge of kooky. Uh, and but you know, I never got to to see them, and I so I wasn't even familiar with Quexal. But you know, seeing them here, you know, it's funny because. You see Zod, and you think of the Zod that that is in Superman Two. You see this gal, Zayora, and you think of Feora from um, Man of Steel, mm-hmm. and she seems to have a bit more in common with that character, though she's got that killing thing like uh, Ursa in Superman yeah. Two, and of course Quexal seems to have the physical countenance of Nan, but uh, a little it's- bit more loquacious. Which doesn't make sense why he would – he doesn't seem to be – why he would take – he seems to be taking his orders from Zod. Sorry. I mean, Zod seems to be the leader, and I don't know if that's just – and if he's just muscle, but he seems to be – He's the guy um, that wants to push his weight around. He's the, yeah. the, 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 the sheriff's you know, butt kicker, but you know he doesn't want to be the leader. He just wants to do whatever the you – know, he just wants to get the sheriff's approval. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so what do you? Uh, and I think we talked about that. You know, we'll kind of move on from the cover here. But why do you think that Byrne decided to put? I mean, it's obviously he's wearing like an executioner's. I mean, the cover is this Superman. Yeah. It's all in green and black. Superman's holding a box with a glowing kryptonite, and he's got a like an executioner's hood. And you can tell it's Superman because you can see the S. Right. And he says, "For years, yeah. I never saw the S. For years, wow. I didn't recognize really? who that was." Really? And then when I saw it, it was like, oh. Well, maybe it worked then. Because I, I thought, well, obviously this is Superman, but if you don't, you can't tell that's an S, and this could be anybody. Um, I never had a doubt myself. Yeah. I did love the the luminescence of it all, you know, especially on the yes. costume. Oh, yeah. Uh, the way he did that, or some kind of zipatone, and then, uh, you know, the other things, the, the the lines and stuff that's come out. And he did some really neat tricks with the cover. Um and that, and I, I though I kind of wish the kryptonite was just like a rocky, crystalline stone rather than a cut gem. Yeah, yeah, that's but true. That's, me. that's just me. Though I mean, this is a, a cinematic effect, so I can understand mm-hmm. why you did it. This would but, be a great uh, cosplay if you do a Superman costume just in kind of green and black with a hood, and you have yeah. a box with like a, a glow stick in it. That would be pretty cool. But to me, this is the cover that that basically. You know, it's got it, it does so many things because, you know, it's part of the modern age now. And, and having read it, you know that this is basically what happens in the story. But buying this off the stands and you read it and you're like, no, no, Superman's not going to kill anyone. That's just, you know, that's just Silver Age blustering is what that is or Bronze Age, you know, whatever you want to say. That's just the blustering of that. And so, you know, it's not a true representation of what goes on in the book. And then you get gut punched by Superman killing. And yeah, I mean, again, I got gut punched by it. I just, I couldn't believe it then. 
Um, you know, and, and I ran into a similar situation with Man of Steel. I still didn't like the idea of of Superman killing, but I've I've come around on it and said, okay, I understand why. I just wish it wasn't so. In Man of Steel, it was ham fisted the way they did it. Well, that was a little different because this he's kind of he he really doesn't have a lot of choice. Right, right. He, he, what's he gonna do? It's not. Uh, and yeah, you could say that that the Man of Steel he's a he's a young you know that's 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 why I hear. The excuses for so much of the devastation. Well, he's a young Superman. Doesn't know what he's doing. Um, but I think it it it. Uh, I mean, put yourself in his place. What would you? What would you? It's it's almost like um, um, the Star Trek episode with the Dowd. You know, when they find the creature that the whole planet is devastated, and they find this little patch that he's living on, and they find yeah. out that he's this energy being, and. And he destroyed an entire race. And Picard says, "We, you know, we can't judge you. We have no, we have no laws to fit what you've done. We just got to, you know, you you go away and live. You know, of course, he was remorseful, so he wasn't like um, like the three villains here. But it's similar to that. I mean, what is, you know, Superman doesn't really have a law to fit what these people have done. So what? And he has to, uh, and you have to think he has to think that well." They may find a way to my Earth. They may be able to get their power back and do this again. And I can't, I can't, uh, you know, even if it tears him up inside, which obviously it seems to. Um, yeah. <laughs> that, and I think it, at the end when he, when he, when he, when he brings um, a Matrix or Supergirl or whatever we're going to call her back, and they said, you know, where have you been? He said, I've been to the end of the World Paw, maybe the end of two. And I read that as, is he saying yes? The 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 other Earth is gone, it's destroyed. Maybe this Earth is because of what I've done. Can I no longer be Superman, or be the hero I think I need to be? Am I done? And because doesn't he leave the Earth after this and kind of go off and kind of contemplate what he's done in that exile? Or yeah, yeah, that that comes after this um, as he starts to. Well, I mean, the thing is, he went on for a little while and then he started basically going nuts and he became gangbuster yeah secretly and you know it was he didn't even realize he was doing it and so because you know, that was after jose delgado got his back broke and he was going out being gangbuster and, and you know it's like he finally realized okay something's really wrong i need to get away from everything and everyone and uh so he goes on out and uh then they make him turn into russell crow <clears throat> um <laughs> Of Gladiator, that's what I was thinking about. But that actually came several years later. Yeah. So. Well, I will say that <laughs> the the artwork in this is just gorgeous. It is. It's as how we said. You, the, how are you reading it? I'm reading it on a scan. It's an X scan of the actual book. Yeah, and I, I find the scan itself um, is really good about getting the center. It does. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to line it up, but they did a I, good it, job of it, lining it up. It's kind of got this washed out look to it and i seem to remember even reading the book back in the day my, my physical copy that i thought it had kind of washed out washed out look to it you know you know how uh man of steel as a movie has that kind of washed out look to it mm -hmm. or, the, or the matrix has everything with a green look to it and you know other movies you know they they, they do that where they enhance it one color or another and this one really seems to be almost overlit well, it it uh, yeah, some of it looks a little saturated. Uh, yeah, 
but his his costume really pops. Yeah, because so much of the planet is just it's kind of purples and grays and light blues and mm-hmm. uh, and even the 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 other characters kind of have uh, their costumes are are kind of bright colors. Zod's is kind of a dull purple gray thing, but um, it's it's just it's kind of a uh, it starts with kind of a knockdown drag out, just a good fight, and because Supergirl's taken out pretty quick, uh, and so is. Uh, you know, we have to say in this and this in this world, Lix Luther is not a bad guy. He's a good guy. He's and a bad guy. He's a bad guy. He's he's yeah, he's a mis yeah, <laughs> I will say that. His ego is yeah, tripped him up just as bad. Although he's not he doesn't think of himself he as a bad guy. He is the same guy. He just didn't lose his hair from that lab accident. <laughs> if he had lost his hair in the lab accident, it'd be the same thing all over. But, you know, there's always going to be that thing that he does that is because of his ego. Yeah. And that's I think that's the biggest not I think that's the biggest shock of here like or the gut punch. Not that Superman kills these three Kryptonians. But when Luther, uh, when he says, hey, you know, you could have taken this gold kryptonite and you could have stopped this years ago. Is that my ego wouldn't let me, you know, I, I had to do it myself. You know, it had to be me. I'm like, we're talking about arrogance and talking about the uh, hubris that you think, well, yeah, you, you thought you started it, so you had to finish it. But you got to, you know, use every resource you've got. Don't don't uh, don't uh, let everything suffer just because of your uh, of your ego. So but the all the other heroes, because they said in this pocket world, there were no other worlds. Right. That's why Bruce. Of course, I don't know why it would have stopped Bruce Wayne from being Batman, but obviously it would have stopped Green Lantern from being uh, Hal Jordan from being Green Lantern, and I don't know why it would have stopped Oliver Queen from being uh, Green Arrow. But those two guys could have still—they're just regular guys. This is almost like an Elseworlds story. It's like these are just like they're still heroes, even though they're not heroes, you know. Uh, and they could dispatch pretty, um, pretty quickly, and especially. Oliver Queen, that's the, the image that when I remember reading this stood out that uh, Zord just kind of just pulverized, I guess, his head. That's that's how uh, Jordan, I thought. Is that Jordan? Well, yeah, because if it was Oliver, you think there would have been something else, a bow and arrow. Because, like, I, I mean, again, it's two ships. Zod and Zora have finished Hal Jordan and Oliver Queen. I mean, I don't know if you think it respectively. It yeah, the first one would have been Hal Jordan. But it, it, yeah, it really doesn't matter. But, um, yeah, I, I just, even if Oliver wasn't the Green Arrow, they'd probably still have a bow and arrow there. Yeah, it'd be or, something. But, yeah. well, maybe it's because Bruce, they both explained that they spent all their money, you know, I guess funding the fight against the supervillains. So they yeah. didn't have any, he had no money left to. But, um, yeah, I, I always read it the other way around just because yeah, I would have expected to see something else on Ollie. Uh, the other question I have is, you know, with them being exposed to gold kryptonite, did that affect their clothes as well? Does crypto, the gold kryptonite make Kryptonian clothing, you know, normal? Because if um, not, there's three indestructible suits on that planet now. <laughs> Maybe Superman stripped them off and put them on his uh, in his little his and little that, pocket in his cape. You know, Zod's hat has got a superpower of its own just to stay on his head when he's going <laughs> through the jet and all that other stuff. Hey, but what do I know? But I think it's uh, it's um, again it's as much sense as the Gior around his clothes, keeping his uniform from shredding. 
Well, I mean, that's on Superman, but I'm just wondering about, you know, the Zods and the other Kryptonians' costumes. Is that, do they stay indestructible or do they become, you know, easily destroyed? Are they going to degrade now? Well, they shouldn't since they're on an airless yeah. planet. Well, those, bodies, I, those bodies will be perfectly preserved, won't they? Somebody can come along and uh, put them in a, a Kryptonian matrix. And there make there a, are uh... so many ways <laughs> they could actually bring these guys back. Well, where's on... Scott Gardner when you need him? <laughs> yeah, where's Scott? Well, I'm sure there's, at this world, there's probably a kryptonite that would return their powers, right? Was it blue kryptonite? Well, I don't no, that's what you used to kill Bizarro, Superman. I don't I, recall I don't ever having kryptonite <laughs> that restores power. Maybe it didn't. Uh, because we were first kind of introduced to gold in the the uh, earlier issues where uh, Crypto was trying to help Superboy mm -hmm. fight Superman, and he goes and gets the gold and turns himself into a regular dog. A yippee dog, yeah. Yeah. But I thought... Uh, you know, I thought this the, the the fights are pretty epic. It's uh, uh, the artwork. You know, the the rubble. I mean, he's got lots of rubble to draw in here. Um, Argle bargle. Argle, lots of Argle bargle. Um, <laughs> and when it, when I thought earlier on the because he makes a point that Superman has to wear. He can't breathe. You know, he's wearing a a mask. And this other thing, how that thing stay on with all the the fighting he's doing with them. Uh, well, then it comes off. Then it, you he see, okay, on yeah, page, yeah. page nine, well, you see him on page nine, but then page 10, he doesn't have it. So if he took it off, he just, you know, he he says he can hold his breath for a couple hours. No, by he said one he had breath. to abandon it. Is that what he said? His, oh. Yeah, he had to abandon it to mask oh, communications because right. he didn't want them to that's know right. what was going on right. since they are listening to him. Which I thought, because they shows them wearing him, and they say they're using him to eavesdrop and to right. communicate in the vacuum. And I thought, well, what are they doing for oh. all this time for breathing? But they don't have to breathe, do they? They can survive. Right, right. I, I forgot just... this. I forgot. Page 11, if you look at, they miscolored it. And they miscolored Quexel as Superman. Yeah, I thought, well, it's not like, I, yeah. I thought that was weird because it looks like Superman is throwing him into the ground and then Superman is burrowing into the ground. So that's... Yeah, if you look on the previous page, you can see Quexel holding him above in the smasher pose. yeah. And and does that? I remember seeing this back in the day, and I forgot about it until just now. It's weird that nobody caught that. That's you know that that would be down to Renee Witterstatter and uh, Mike Carlin. Um, I, wonder if they've, I wonder if they've corrected that in a trade. I bet that's corrected when they put it in the trade. And this is a little parallel to because in the story where he's where he in Super, uh, Superman twenty one where he first meets Supergirl, she had captured uh, Lana Lang and Kent and held them in the basement and he burrows to the ground yeah. similar to this and comes through and, and that's when he's, it dawns on him like hey, uh, I think I know where she's from. Yeah, because he, fi uh, he figured out you know her powers were different. She probably didn't have x-ray vision. That's why he burrowed into the ground. Yeah. But this here, he's just trying to get to Superboy's lab and I like how he sits there and says yeah, there's no way he could ever put anything together like that. Well, and I thought that was interesting that that's not – he's not uh, – Burn Superman is not a dummy, but he's not hyper-intelligent uh, the way – He doesn't have the computer brain that they given, you know, the 
gold, I mean, the silver and bronze age Superman. Right, right. Which, and, you know, I guess you could say, why would his brain be, you know, and that, it's not, I mean, Jerry, it's like in Seinfeld, because why wouldn't he have super, uh, super sense of humor? Everything else is super. Well, I, I think Superman probably has a very good sense of humor. <laughs> I never heard him say anything really funny. But it's common sense. He's got super strength, super speed. I'm sure he's got super humor. I think that, but you Either you're born with a sense of humor or you're not. It's not going to change. Even if you go from the red sun of Krypton all the way to the yellow sun of the Earth. <laughs> Why? Why would that one area of his mind not be affected by the yellow sun of the Earth? I don't know, but he ain't funny. <laughs> uh, I don't, not, not necessarily all of his uh, senses are, are, uh, are super. So. Wait, who was it that said that? Was that Seinfeld? It was Seinfeld. He goes, and, and George says, I never heard him saying that to be funny. Yeah. He goes, <laughs> okay. why wouldn't he have a super sense of humor? Um, but uh, when he's, you know, he's, uh, and I guess the uh, the gold kryptonite has a pretty good range because he doesn't get very close to him before they uh, they start Radiation. to feel. Radiation. Yeah. Radiation. <laughs> <laughs> you dropped that in when you edited it. It's Radiation. Uh I think they would have died when he dropped. He opens it up. They drop in. Look at they're falling out, uh, you know, a good 100 feet or so into this metal box he's created. I think that's going to kill him. But well, he lowers it as he's doing. It. He cushions the blow. Probably yeah, and maybe they're a nice tuft of super air just to help yeah, him out. And maybe they're not completely depowered yet. So maybe they have a little. Um, but my big question was, OK, he he meets uh, he goes back and finds Luther and Luther kind of you know explains that. Because uh, up to this point, he thought he had given powers to Lana Lang, which is what he told him. Right. Luther told Superman. And it turns out, no, she was kind of this matrix, this artificial uh, being he created because Lana, Lana, uh, Lana had been killed early in the war. Uh, and then she tells him, basically tells him to, to uh, you know, don't let this ha- don't let the, you know, don't let this happen to uh, your world. And he takes his spare, um, his spare oxygen. You know, so I guess Superman get other, you know, could last a couple more hours. But then he goes and he kind of decides what he has to do, and he and he and he and he kills him. And then I think this is what the the we mentioned the guy thought that he was committing suicide because he he kills him all. Which I think it's interesting they turn on each other. Zod immediately says, "Oh, it wasn't me. It was them." Uh, yeah. <laughs> Quicksilver strangles him, and then. Uh, Zora basically pleads to, you know, she's basically saying, hey, I'll I'll be your slave. Just don't kill me. Uh, Down on her knees and, yeah, yeah that's a little body that, and that's... that's Yeah, that's a little that's a little mature there. But then we see a little tear in Superman's eye and it's all, it's a nice break panel. It's just white and you see him kind of little tear and then he's slowly, you see he's buried him. Mm-hmm. And then he's walking into that. I, at first, I thought that was the moon, but that's the bubble. Is that the bubble for the Citadel? Or what is that behind him? I thought it was the moon, too. Kirk? What maybe, maybe it is the moon. I mean, Hard you know, for me to say. Yeah, but, but yeah, it, I never got the idea that he was going to kill his, kill himself or anything. I just thought, no, I, I never this thought is that either. Superman feeling so incredibly sad. Remorseful. And, yeah, well, not just yeah. remorseful. This is you're walking on the the largest grave ever. Five billion people, you know, died for no good reason, and you know he's the last thing there, and the last remnant of anything there. You've just got to be sad, and you have to recognize that. I mean, as as a person, if you were 
the last one before you leave. You couldn't just turn your back and, and fly away as soon as you buried the bad guys. You've got to do something or say something or, or something. Yeah. So I think, and, and the last thing I'm thinking is suicide. Now, why no. deprive the earth of, of, of him as a hero because he's done, done what he had to do here? On another world. Yeah. yeah. In another universe. Well, it's, I think it's it's double phone because he's one. He's and like you said, he's he's on this huge. Were we talking planet. about that on air, or was that before this? Before we started, the the letter, not the letter, but the. Uh, oh, we didn't. Yeah, well, we we, didn't I, don't, yeah. I think it was. Yeah, we didn't bring it up. That somebody had asked John Byrne if that was his intention. That this is Superman contemplating suicide because he's slowly walking off, kind of in the distance after he's buried the the three Phantom Zone criminals and. Byrne basically said, no, no, not even close. Business. No, not even close. Yeah. <laughs> and that's really I'm... the only thing Byrne has, has said about this issue on his website. We've poured over trying to find any any comments that, that Byrne had made about it, uh, but he really hasn't said a lot about it, at least on his website. There may be interviews and such. But uh, as at, you know, as our research goes, whatever word there is on it is few and far between. Yeah. But if I mean if if I mean look at Superman's options if 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 one of the criticisms is well he doesn't kill Superman doesn't kill okay what's he gonna do he's on a dead planet he's got three Kryptonians that are basically humans now there's no there's a little bit of air left in this uh, no food. box he's created no food uh, nothing you know he's not even sure if if he could survive what's he gonna do with him he, he you know is it is it like is it a mercy killing is it or is it is it like in Batman uh, begins. He's like, I don't, I'm not going to kill you, but I don't have to save you. Does he fly off and like, well, I didn't kill him. I, I just left him there to die, but I didn't kill him. It's like that ending uh, of Ten Nights of the Beast. You don't have to yeah. worry about him anymore. <laughs> so, what is he? You know, really, what is he? And I think he's that's that's also why he's so tore up is because one, he's on one, he's a, he's dealing with the fact that this could have been avoided because Lex, if Lex's ego hadn't gotten involved, two is. I'm on a planet where everything, everything is dead. And three, I've had to do something that just is just tear me up inside. So, again, I don't think that would drive him to suicide. I think he's too strong a character to do that. But I think a bigger question is before he finds Matrix, which he kind of see him kind of glance and he says, what? And then we assume he sees her. How was he thinking he was going to get back? One, he has no extra oxygen. So once his breath gives out and he has no way to get back, to his world. We assume when he finds a matrix that she brings him back. But if the device was on her belt, wouldn't that have been vaporized when she was, that wasn't part of her protoplasmic makeup. So where's the technology that gets him back to his own world? That is a really, really good question. Yep. Maybe in Lex Luthor's uh, ship, even though it was crashed, could be, or you know, or like you said, if that was the bubble, then it's inside there. Well, they say the citadel is destroyed, but I don't know if that means we don't see that. Right. So I don't right. know if uh, if there is uh, more. I mean, he got back, so there was the technology. You know, something was there. Right. Maybe she was. Yeah, she seems like she seems kind of out of it, but she does open her eyes, so maybe she was able to tell him, "Hey, there's a spare uh, interface over there." Uh, or maybe you know, maybe it was an ion storm in a transporter. Who knows? But um, he uh, he brings her back and doesn't. Is this the same Matrix 
that then hooks up with a younger Lex Luthor when he's in a, a younger body, and I she kind so. of. I believe it is same one, right? Yeah. During uh, when he dies, like, I don't know what that. I think I wasn't reading it then. He dies, and he somehow puts his. He does a Palpatine. He puts some his his brain into another body. Yeah, with a with a full set of hands and full set of hair. Set of yeah. hair. <laughs> that was his first request. I gotta have two hands. Gotta have hair. But um, um, you know, and I think it's touching that he says, you know, uh, he says, you uh, what does he says? Um, if you can impart to her half of the love and strength you gave me, uh, she'll be uh, a fine human being when you're done. Yeah, yeah. So I mean that that I think that eliminates his idea that he might commit suicide. I think he's too strong a character to do that. Yeah, and I, knew, I don't think it ever crossed his mind. Uh, the thing mm-hmm. that, that comes across my mind, though, when reading all this, I start thinking of Worf on Star Trek The Next Generation, who, you know, basically every kid that he comes across that needs a family, he throws at his parents. and Because <laughs> uh, he gets that one kid through the bonding, and he sends them off to his parents, and then he gets uh, Alexander after Kalar has died. And, you know, he sits down with his parents. Ultimately, they come back to him and say, we're too old for this. Here, take them now. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, it's like, it's like, soup. you know, take a look at your parents. They're getting up there in years. You might want to, you know, see if you can find another home for this girl. Justice League satellite, maybe. <laughs> well, the, they, they've always said that the Enterprise is full of orphans. Look at them. All the, all the kids are all orphans. Warf included. Dang, um, that's pretty messed up. I, th- I thought it was interesting when they were some of the the the, the things that they I'd read that Byrne had changed and maybe because I hadn't read Superman before this so maybe it didn't matter but that he he made Superman the alter ego not the other way around right which I guess previously it was I'm Superman but I got to pretend to be Clark Kent now a staple of the superhero mythology is there's the super and there's the alter ego Batman is actually Bruce Wayne. Spider-Man is actually Peter Parker. When that character wakes up in the morning, he's Peter Parker. He has to put on a costume to become Spider-Man. And it is in that characteristic Superman stands alone. Superman didn't become Superman. Superman was born Superman. When Superman wakes up in the morning, he's Superman. His alter ego is Clark Kent. His outfit with the big red S. That's the blanket he was wrapped in as a baby when the Kents found him. Those are his clothes. What Kent wears, the glasses, the business suit, that's the costume. That's the costume Superman wears to blend in with us. Clark Kent is how Superman views us. And what are the characteristics of Clark Kent? He's weak. He's unsure of himself. He's a coward. Clark Kent is Superman's critique on the whole human race. And Byrne said, no, no, which I've always felt because he was raised as Clark Kent. That's who he is. Right. Know, he was raised by these two people. He was a, he's a Kansas boy. He, that's who he is. And, he, and, you know, Superman is his job. So I never felt that he. Did he, Kirk fall asleep? No, I'm here. Oh, I thought I heard you snore in there. <laughs> I don't Sorry. think so. I think my chair creaked. Okay. Oh. But, well, uh, well, Kirk, yeah. you're being kind of quiet. We're not. I hope we're not monopolizing the uh, the the chat here. No, good chat. Besides, I fell asleep. 
<laughs> but no, but what you're saying, you know, it makes sense. I, I keep thinking back to that scene in Kill Bill where David Carradine is talking about Superman. And he's talking about Silver Age Superman, who Clark Kent is weak and sickly. And he's basically Superman's uh, view of humans. And I, I never liked that as, as a description. And so when John Byrne took over, though, and made Clark Kent more like, you know, the Clark Kent that we saw in the Adventures of Superman TV series, uh, I was kind of cool with that. And we also saw that with John Hayne Newton in the Superboy series. It, his Clark Kent was not the weak, sickly, you know, Clark that, you know, always had to find a way to slip away. He, he was a tough guy, you know. Well, I think that was just that was just comic writing for well, he's got to create as big a gap between who Superman is and who he is. So I have to act mild mannered, and I got to act mm -hmm. you know weak and scared and timid. And uh, but Byrne kind of addressed that because he would say Superman would always blur his face. So if you really could get a good shot at him, you could you would never be able to tell who he is. So it didn't matter if if Clark you know. Uh, you know, his his, uh, you know, that that scene where he's where Lois comes over and she sees his weights and he's like, how do you how do you build up? But these are real lightweight. He's like, oh, you know, I'm too strong. I can't judge what's what are lightweights and what are heavyweights. So uh, to explain why he's, um, you know, he basically wears glasses and combs his hair differently. Yeah. Now, is this the first full issue that Byrne did pencils and inks on? Um it, it I don't know if he did. He, I mean, Carl Kessel did from what three on or four on, and um, yeah, he did the Joker issue and and the ones after that. He did the Mixaplic. I think. Yeah, you know, John John Beatty did the uh, inks in the previous issue twenty one. Yeah, and and Beatty was I, I I thought oh no the seventeen with Silver Banshee's return. It looks like, uh, yeah, John Byrne did did pencils and inks, and uh, you know, again, it, it it looks a little thicker than some of the other inkers that have come in. I mean, Beatty was very similar to Byrne's inks. So I didn't have a problem with that. Kessel's line was a little thinner, and I liked it some, but he never really changed Byrne's, um, you know, his Superman face and whatnot. He just changed the lower lip for some reason. It's it doesn't have the. You know, when, you know, I'll say when Byrne does himself, it always looks a little, you know, it's not muddy, but it looks a little, just a little thicker. Yeah. And you get a little, you're right, you get a little bit of that, but it doesn't seem to be as much as uh, in past when he's done other things that seem to be a little, uh, a little more heavy handed on, like he's using a thicker, uh, like he's, to me, it looks like he's using a brush instead of a pen. But uh, this is not, I mean, he's got a lot of, like the you know the the argle bargle or the rubble right that's pretty dense but you never lose sight of course a lot of it has to do with it's all kind of one monotone color and the characters kind of stand out on it but you well, never lose sight of what's going on and and look at, at at the inks and when i sit there and look at the like superman's face uh throughout the book it reminds me more of the face of superman that we saw during Man of Steel, when it was Dick Giordano or his, you know, Dick and his people um, mm -hmm. doing the inks on it. It, it, it looks more like that to me than it did anywhere else in the series. 
you know, under other anchors. Yeah. And that's that's what I found interesting. But, you know, it's just a, an observation. That last uh, image of him on the last page, though, there's something that's... And I think it's probably because of the page bleed that makes it look not right. But if you look at the bottom of the, the S symbol and his chest and the way it connects to the rest of his torso there... It's weird. It's like a weird twist. Does that make any sense? The very last image on the last page. Kind of like, yeah, like he's twisting at the waist a little bit. Yeah. yeah. But you, you, I can yeah, see that. It's hard to say because it kind of messes with the S, doesn't it? Be sure to put that on the uh, Facebook page to share for other people to see. Yeah. I'll have to see if I can find a cleaned up copy of it because, again, my, uh, my scanned image has got some page bleed from, uh, from the pre- previous page. Right, yeah, I, I can see that. That's uh, you see the lines coming through. Yeah, but uh, all in all, again, you know, this was uh, a, a, an incredible final issue for his initial run. Um, it was a good. I think it was a good final. If he was going to leave, this is a good issue to leave on. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to if he did one more, kind of like a little one and done or something that's going to lead into something else. If you're going to leave the book, this is a good way to leave. And you know, when, when he left. DC didn't do a freak out, you know. They didn't, you know, just grab one person and say you're the guy. Now they they you know brought in several guys, with uh, Roger Stern uh, helping to uh, form the, you know, with the formation of how the writing was going to continue on. But you know, again, Roger Stern is that guy that you want to go to, uh, you know, once Byrne has left a book because he, typically he's able to go to Byrne and get you know. Well, what was the, what were we where were we going with this? Where are we going with that? Yeah. He's not going to tell him note for note what it is, but he's going to give him a good idea. Yeah, and, where it's going. You know, the the next issue is another Silver Banshee issue with uh, Mike Mignola doing the art, and then after that, Kerry Gamble came in to handle the art chores on uh, on this book for as much as he could. And you know, Gamble's not as quick of a penciler. As Burns, so I don't think he was going to be able to keep up with the month to month for very long. Uh, but Dan Jurgens came in shortly afterwards, and with with that, I think they were able to to put out you know some cohesive stories and keep it all going. For me, the biggest frustration uh, was that all the books were so interconnected at this point. And, uh, I mean, at, at this time, Action was still doing Action Comics Weekly, but Superman and Adventures of Superman and what later became uh, Man of Steel um, were all books tied in this this one, you know, in each storyline. So, you know, it's like if you did, if you worked on one, you were only going to give yeah. part of the story. And I like that. When did the, when did the triangle numbering system come about to help you uh, know when to read Let's see. I'm sitting there looking at that. I mean, it was they, they were already doing that, if I remember mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Um, in fact, you know, the way this 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 storyline itself went, it was in Adventures of Superman in this one as as well. Um, let's see. But the well, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. What they would do with Spider Man, they would cross from a story would go from amazing to web to spectacular. You know, kind of cover. Yeah. Um, because that's a way to get people. Oh, I read just amazing. I don't read spectacular. Well, to read, you're going to have to get this other book, and then maybe they hooks you. You know, so. Yeah, I, I I was not a fan of that because you know it's like I I would per- rather prefer which artists and writers I want to stick with and not be forced to 
follow all of them. Um, but uh, again, the storylines were good and they were compelling and they moved along. Uh, there were times when they lost me, like when they brought in Eric Larson. Ugh. Oh, you don't like Larson? Uh, not on Superman. Oh, he was. Oh, I thought you were talking about Spider Man. Um, well, when Eric Larson was doing Spider Man, he was aping McFarlane, which is funny yeah. because McFarlane said he's always trying to ape Eric Larson. <laughs> I found that interesting. I still haven't seen when they've gone to the triangle yet. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, tr the first triangle is in Superman issue 51. Okay, so it's about 19, two, year, two years from now. Yeah, two years from now, okay. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, but, you know, again, they brought in a large, large group to sit there. Dan Jurgens and Roger Stern and others sitting there uh, determining where they were going to go. And it was never, you know, just one person making the choices. They all seemed to have a, a, an equal hand. And of course, every year they would sit there and say, well, what are we going to do this year? Let's kill them. <laughs> and... <laughs> And, uh, you know, again, you know, we as, as as readers don't know all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. So we're just like, um, you know, I, I was one that just thought it was a cash grab. And, and in many ways it was. But that was not the writer's and editor's intention was for it to be a cash grab. The head office, I'm sure, was happy as sin that they were going to do something like this. Hey, we can go to the news now. Well, yeah. if they don't, I mean, I don't. Uh, I like Death of Superman. I, right. I realize it is a cash grab, and I don't. And I know you probably they probably didn't think we could really just leave him dead. But as long as you don't go that well too often, you can do a story like that where you know you know he's going to come back, but it's he's gone for he was gone for a year or two or however long it was, and and you get a good story going up to it and coming back and a finale. So knowing he's going to eventually come back, that's fine. But when that becomes a norm where they're constantly killing somebody off and then, you, oh, you know, maybe they're going to come back. And if you don't take the time to bring him back in uh, a good story, that's when it becomes um, just a saturation and you don't care anymore. You're like, oh, you know, okay, who's dead now? Who's coming back? So, you know, it, it wasn't like with uh, the Clone Saga uh, where originally they, they, they toyed with the idea of, of Peter going off and Riley, you know, um, Ben Riley would become the new Spider-Man yeah. and they would yeah. just switch out, which would have been fine. And if, you know, if you didn't like Ben Riley, then you might stop reading the book. The same with Miles Morales in the, the, the ultimate universe, you know, when, when I don't particularly like Miles Morales, but so he's not, you know, but that's instead of, uh, my that's son, a, my son took me to task on Miles Morales. My uh -oh. son sits there and says, you should like Miles Morales just as much as Peter Parker. Why? And that was my question to him. Why? And he goes, well, he's Spider-Man. He's Spider-Man now. No, And I no, said, look, look, no. I grew up with Peter Parker, and I was one of those guys that when I got 12, 13, 14 years old, I didn't put my comic books down. And part of that is because Peter Parker was growing and changing. And I was lucky enough to be able to read the original Ditko stuff when I was young and mm -hmm. see that he was growing and changing with me. And that allowed me to identify with yeah. him a lot and a lot. 
And still to this day, you know, there's a lot of things that happen in his life that I could sit there and really say, yeah, I, I know what that's like. I know what that's like. Right. I mean, you could say, you know, I can say I'm a Spider-Man fan, but I'm really I'm really a Peter Parker fan as Spider-Man. So that it's not you can put somebody else in the costume and it's not. OK, well, that's that's not the same. Yeah. But so, I never had my father sit in a car and yell out to everybody. Tell me you love me. No, I'm sorry. That's from the movie. But I was just like, Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, and, and that's the thing, is that, is that my son doesn't understand what it is to necessarily identify with one character or another. And it's not because, I mean, you know, the thing is, is like there are other characters in comics that, that we've identified with over the years or found interesting or, or whatever. But it doesn't mean that that just because, you know, Miles Morales is in there that he's not a bad character. I'm not saying he's a bad character. I'm just saying he's not the Spider-Man that I wanted to read. Right, and just because you and and just because you're a Spider-Man fan and you have to like anybody who puts that costume on doesn't that doesn't that doesn't track. So uh, if that's the case, and you should if you're a Batman fan, you should have been um, uh, who's the guy that took over uh, Jean-Luc, uh, not Jean-Luc, Jean-Luc <laughs> Picard, John Picard, no, yeah. the guy that took over uh, after he got his back broken. Oh, Jean-Luc, yeah, as well, yeah, and he yeah. was. Technically, uh, Batman. So you should have liked him, even though he was, uh, you know, yep. had no he was not whatsoever. And then he became the Punisher, didn't he? Because he was killing people. Well, yeah, he was, but yeah, he was, he was kind of heavy-handed, and you know, because he had that well, well, they had those spike claws that could help but kill people, right? Um, right. But, um, but, but the thing is, is like my son didn't understand. Well, you know, I mean, again, I'm not buying comic books today, or I'm not buying new comic books today. I'm filling in blanks in my old collection but i'm not you know going out and buying new stuff so i've got no motivation to go and buy spider-man books right now whether they're peter parker or miles morales because the characters are so far different yeah from from what i read before i mean i'm having a hard time reading the uh the the burn and mackie spider-man stuff because all the changes that have gone on you know, we discussed that a couple of weeks ago when we covered those Spider-Man books. Mm -hmm. And it's, again, I, I, I've read them and it's like, okay, I can, I can read this, but man, they've changed so much. You and, must have really been thrilled with the uh, superior Spider-Man with the Doc Ock in, in uh, Peter's body. Well, I'll say this. Um, when I first heard this storyline, I really laughed it off. I mean, I thought, oh my God, how stupid. But, you know, as I've read other reader opinion on it, you know, it seems to be a well-written story arc. Uh, you know, I mean, there's things on there that you just go, oh, come on. But when you sit there and you find out what happened to Octavius, what happened to Peter, you realize that the, the writer actually had a really, really good arc, story arc to tell. It was well thought out. So, yeah, I mean, I yeah, think, yeah. It, 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 it infuriated me to hear about it. But when you sit there and you go in and read it, well, OK, whatever. You know, that's kind of cool. What about Craven's Last Hunt for that matter, oh, though? No, uh, no, oh, no, 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 work no, with me no, here for no, a moment. No. It's it was a, a storyline where Spider-Man got beat. He got right. defeated hands down. No other way to look at it. He got defeated, but he still came back. I mean, does that story bug you that much just because of Peter getting defeated like he did? 
No, it bothers me. This is off topic, but it bothers me because, one, it went someplace that comics didn't need to go, and two, I didn't see any point. I didn't see a payoff of the arc except to kill Craven by his own hand. And I just, it, it, I've never liked or enjoyed that arc, and I don't know why people hold it up to be so spectacular. Uh, it just, I, I think it's more. I don't, I don't, I don't have a problem with it, but I, I can see your point, Kirk, that it, it maybe it did, kind of cross the line a little bit about what, <clears throat> little bit, well, what I mean, it killed Gene DeWolf, just about the same time. Well, that was Peter David. That was Peter David, not James Dematis. I mean, okay. Peter David killed Gene DeWolf. Peter David killed pretty much any woman he got his hands on. But even though he said he loved women, uh, don't get me wrong. I like the writing of Peter David, but, uh, you know, he 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 definitely again, all women in comics got short shrift in the 70s and 80s. And look what they did to Gwen Stacy. And so you're saying you like Doc Ock in Peter Parker's body better than you like uh, Norman Osborn in Gwen's. Sorry, that's a cheap <laughs> shot. You may want to edit that out. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. What a turn we took. You win the Internet. (laughs) Oh, my God. Kirk's MVP in this episode. Yes. You can just Uh, edit that right out. No, 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 no. They have to write in if they want to know what they missed. We want to put that at the top, at the bottom, all over the place. (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah, I I agree, Kirk. I mean, if if they wanted to get rid of Craven, and I think maybe people are – I mean, I'd say I'm a little biased because I react to the artwork because I love my exec – so I'm kind of having that overshadow the story. Yeah. But if I think people are reacting to that, maybe, oh, that's a gutsy move. That's a, similar to what we're talking about here. That was, you know, they, they did something unexpected. That was uh, they subverted their expectations uh, for them to kill off Craven that way. And that's that's a little more mature. But do they need to take care of him that way? Do they need to, you know. Of course, he's back now, I think, isn't he? Isn't he back somehow? Aren't they all? Which version? I don't know. Is he? Is it his son back? Or I'm did not Clip... paying any attention. I don't you know. There's a daughter in there. But that's just... the thing. You know, the, the, again, things have changed so much. And, you know, I, I made this point on Facebook, you know, that, you know, it's hard for the older readers to go back to the current books and get back into them because everybody's changed so much that they're unrecognizable. And the, the the point was is that, you know, as a young person, you, you probably get into comic books at seven, eight years old and then go through them till you're about 13, 14. And then you pick up the football or baseball or your dad's gun or whatever, you know, the motorcycle, mini bike, whatever. You know, you, you, you get into something else and you put comic books down. That's that's the way it was it was always supposed to be you know going aside from maybe you're a soldier and that's all you get to read but i mean that's what the comic book industry was looked at that's what the comic book industry creators themselves thought of it then stanley comes along creates the fantastic four creates spider-man with with the other creators and they start changing things up and instead of us guys putting the comics down we kept them, we held them, we wanted them to grow and change with us. And so now we've got this crazy main character there, but legacy characters there, and nobody ages, but we still got to create this sliding scale for the stories. And it all just gets into this mess of 
galactic argle bargle that we can't <laughs> seem to get ourselves out of. Uh, there needs to be a paradigm shift in how comic books are produced, or at least a new facet of it for kids to be able to get on board with. Because right now, the market that's reading comic books is slowly starting to dwindle as we're yeah. all getting old and dying. Well, uh, <laughs> well, speaking of that, what do you guys think of the, which that was in the news last week about the, what they're calling the bloodbath over at DC? Yeah. With the culling, where they were just letting their people left and right go? Well, so they, they, it wasn't producer. DC so much as, as Warner Brothers. Right. And, 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 yeah, just all of that. And the big worry, of course, was that they were going to sell off DC Comics to somebody else to let them, you know, produce them. That's not what's going to happen. It looks like they're dropping about 25% of the books, and they're changing the guys up top so that they can find the direction they really want to take them right now. So who's the editor-in-chief right now? Did I read I that it know. was Jim Lee? <clears throat> well, he's he's been up in the top office. He's publisher, wasn't he, up to this point? He was, but he's been demoted to CEO. He's dropped down. Yeah, he's, he's dropped not... down, but you know he's not going to be making all the all the decisions. And I don't know about Jeff Johns either. Where, well, where but wasn't there. Bob Harris editor in chief? Yeah, Bob Harris was editor in chief, and again, he's I gone. He's gone. Yeah. Okay, he's gone. Yeah. Well, so. find the guy. Uh, who who is it that right now is is the showrunner for Stargirl? and put him in the editor in chief position. Well, um, I think. Put, did you enjoy Stargirl? Haven't I haven't seen, seen it. I can't. I can't. Why? It's on WB, right? Is it uh, WB? It was or CBS. CBS All Access, but it should. It's moving over. Um, it's interesting to see what's going on with all these shows because they all seem to be moving over to uh, the other the the networks rather than sitting on the the streaming services. Um, so yeah, they're going to move move her over to CW, I believe. So all the episodes should become available pretty pretty soon. Uh, very enjoyable. The finale was last week. Satisfying, I'll say. I have, a, I have no reference for Star Man or Star Girl, so I'd be watching it kind of um, I, I, in a vacuum. I, but my Star Man was, you know, Prince Gavin. You know, if you go back and and the thing is, I only knew him from DC Comics Presents with Jim Starlin. And uh, Len Wein, I think. And that was, you know, back in the, the early 80s. And they killed him in crisis off screen as, as, a, as a point, too. You know, he, he didn't uh, he didn't get a good send off. And then, of course, the next star man I knew was the Will Payton star man. So I didn't know, you know, the, the Jacob Burnley one or the the one that that's been part of the JSA in these last iterations. And they had Noah McHale play him in the first episode and um you know they basically show him look to be get killed by icicle who basically stabbed him uh in the chest with a, a huge icicle which by the way is probably the best way to murder someone without leaving a, a evidence but uh <laughs> just kidding <laughs> actually it's not kidding is it? it's actually kind of true you need ice melts and all you got is water left and no fingerprints but <laughs> You can cut this you know, out. You, you spent entirely too much time contemplating these methods. I've noticed you seem to be obsessed. Well, I just watched when I just watched the Columbo uh, a couple of kills uh, scene. 
Um, anyway, he kills the the, uh, the quantum leap guy. I can't think of his name now. Spectacular? Uh, no, his, uh, his he played yeah. his uh, holographic Dean, buddy, Dean okay. Stockwell. Dean Stockwell. He kills yeah. Dean Stockwell in a pool with a chunk of ice. So he just yeah, throws the ice in the water and it and it dissolves. So, um, so yeah, Scott's. Not, I mean, uh, Brian's onto something here. Um, <laughs> What's the word I'm looking uh, look, for? Look for, anyway. look for Ryan's new book, How to, How to Kill with No Evidence. Have we have we covered this thoroughly now? I think so. I think so. I mean, you know, what it all boils down to is that this was a controversial issue at the time. It's something people still talk about 30 years later, uh, 32 years later. And, uh, I mean, again, there's nothing to complain about as far as the artwork goes in the book. This is something he did the pencils and inks on. And it's beautiful still today, and it 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 could be on the shelves today. I don't think you look Absolutely. at any of this and see it as something old fashioned or dated or or anything. You know, there are other artists who did stuff at the time that you look at now and you're just like, man, that's so dated. But not his, not this. Uh, and I think you. I don't really think you can complain about the story. I think you can, if if you don't feel Superman kills, then that's a discussion. You know that it brings up something, a talking point. You know you can talk about should he, shouldn't he. You know there are, there are. Does it, does it? Are there times when you have to take a life? You know we should have it, gotten J. David Weeder on this episode. <laughs> oh, we we need to discard. There's our, also a distinction here. Superman doesn't kill. You don't see him kill somebody with his powers with his fist. He executes with a device. It may be gold kryptonite or green kryptonite, but he's he's the rule of law. He's executing. He doesn't like that role, but it's not like, oh, gee, he, he beat him to death with his yeah. fists. There, you know, there's but, a distinction here. But there's something different, too. Um, green kryptonite has, you know, and if you read the the imaginary tale of Lex Luthor killing Superman in the old Silver Age story. Um, Which one? You know, the, the, the first <laughs> one where he kills Superman and then Supergirl takes over. But, um, you know, that, I mean, basically Lex Luthor fakes, well, no, he finds a cure for cancer with element Z. And he and Superman become friends. And he does all of it just to trick Superman to kill him. But it takes hours of exposure to the green kryptonite. Superman finally, his body turns green. And he's weak. He can't move. And he slowly dies. But it never shows him actually being in ridiculous pain. Now, in the the burn era Superman, kryptonite causes ridiculous pain. Like, you got razor blades in your stomach was how Lex Luthor had described it. You know, the whole body is, is just re recoiling from the kryptonite radiation, and it's causing ridiculous pain. But again, you see with Zod and them, they're not, you know, really, I mean, they're weakening. They know that, that, that they're going to die, but, you know, they start fighting each other or pleading, and they die. But it's not like when Superman himself is hit by his green K. Yeah, it's not like they're in pain. It's more like they're just their life is just leaving them. They are just, their very, life is just yeah, slipping away. It was very consistent on on Superman's part. I mean, on on uh, Burns' part, as far as how each kryptonite affects you know one or the other. Yeah. But yeah, you know, then again, he still did get away with that whole you know green kryptonite would have no effect on any Kryptonian that was exposed to gold kryptonite. But you know, it can take that step. 
but then again, you know, it, again, a reader is going to sit there and take what is in their own head canon is the way it should be and say, yes, this works. And no, that doesn't work. Yeah. And I don't think if if you're reading up to this point, I think you've already accepted Burns take on Superman. I don't think this issue would necessarily turn you off if you were on the fence, maybe. You would think, well, I don't like what he's doing with the character. This is, oh, this is, oh, this is a, uh, he's crossed the line. I'm not going to, I'm really not going to read it now. So I don't think it's, I think it's been made up to be bigger, a bigger deal than what it is. I don't think it's, um, uh, I don't think it's as notorious as, as, as legend or history has kind of made it. Right, right. Let me ask you guys, do you think that Byrne would have taken Superman to Mongol? as the, the the writers did eventually do? Or would if he have kept him on Earth? or yeah, I mean, what do you think he would have done? Because he didn't ever say what he would have done. I think he might have kept him on Earth more. He was yeah. more, because he was kind of exploring the character. He might eventually get there. I don't, I don't know how Byrne feels about Mongol, so I don't know if that was a character he wanted to explore or not. Yeah, I agree. I, he seemed to be much more Earth-based and involved with his uh, supporting cast of characters on Earth. Mm-hmm. So I I have the same doubt. All right. Well, um, any uh, any final words? I think well, we've we done got, a pretty good job of covering it. We actually got some feedback. If you want me to cover that now. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, that uh, there's we one got two. E- email and then I got a Facebook thing from Andrew Deloach. Is that yeah? What read that. Well, one of them. Yeah, I simply got a new email. Well, one of them that I found is the one that he's kind of responding to Kurt. His yeah. Jack. Jack Bond? Or yeah, Bone? yeah, that's that's one I got. But here's Andrew Deloach first, uh, talking okay. about uh, our Fantastic Four Annual 17. He goes, ah, one of my favorite FF stories. Sharon made an awesome POV character, and Byrne wrote one hell of a spooky conspiracy tale. His knowledge and love of classic FF lore showed in his callback to one of the earliest stories. And yeah, I, I, I agree. You know, and, and what's funny is, you know, it's like, in you know in the the original story you know they left the the plot dangling of the of the squirrel cows, and then Burst, Burn was so good about leaving the plot dangling with the uh, squirrel milk, though nobody really picked it picked it up. Yeah. But uh, that's a good one. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah. You want to read Jack uh, Bonds? Yeah, I'll read Jack Bonds. This is uh, I think he was writing to you, Kirk. Uh, something you had either uh, it was it's in regards to our, our the squirrel issue we covered last week. Okay, share it with me. I've not read it. Okay. Um, It's entitled uh, Mood Juice. Uh, (laughs) And Jack writes, Kirk, I think I was trying to pull something uh, out of the rest of you about the location of King's Crossing. I don't know if this has anything to do with it, but around 87, 88, I lived in Connecticut and roaming the area. I once stopped in a New York grocery store carrying products of burned dairy. I bought a, uh, a quarter in a glass bottle at the time I thought it was, I was being silly. At the time, I had only one association with the name Byrne, although I had suspicions he might not be the be the Johnny Byrne who wrote for Doctor Who or did background art for an animated Phantom of the Opera movie. The bottle was not it was the bottle has not survived my moves. That's a shame. Today, uh, when idle curiosity can be satisfied in an instant, I see Burn Dairy comes from Burn Hollow Farms, located on a road named Burn Hollow Crossing, not far from Route 81 south of Syracuse. Now, seeing connections uh, where there aren't ain't my kind of superpower, but if I, but if you want to drive up there and your GPS switches to 
Rod Serling, Rod Serling voice to advise you there's a signpost up ahead your next stop, Jack. Hmm. Well, thank you, Jack. That's a nice uh, email. It's a shame he doesn't still have the bottle. But well, uh, maybe one of our listeners will have will come across the image on the the internet or be able to share one or, or what have you. Given so many connections, if he's serious about uh, what he's discovered and what he found, it's entirely possible that somebody else had brought that part of the country to John Byrne's attention, yeah. and that he, you know, he used that as the setting. It's possible. I don't know. But thanks for writing in. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Well, I mean, obviously Byrne did did use the mapping of the area when he he did that, and maybe he found that. Maybe he even did a little traveling himself. But uh, nothing in anything he said uh, lets us know that. But that was good feedback, and uh, we can always use more. What did you guys think of this particular discussion, and what did you think of the issue? Please write us at gottagetburned at gmail.com, or if you can, go to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. We really, really need some fresh reviews there and some fresh ratings. Uh, five stars is the best one to give, and that's what we would hope you'd give us. But, you know, tell us what you think. Tell us what you, what you want. And uh, we'll try and get Absolutely. back to you with that. Yeah, or drop us or make a comment on Facebook. We a lot of uh, we have now reached 200 members in our Facebook group, so that's growing, and that's a good way to share. We post our episodes there, so that seems to be really expanding out, and more and more people are asking to join. So uh, that's kind of getting the word out. And if you ask us a question there, we can respond there as well. All right. Anybody All right. got any last well, thoughts? No, just a great issue. Uh, it's a shame Scott couldn't have joined. I know he really wanted to, but we can know, maybe revisit this at, at a later time with Scott and get his, because I'm sure he's got a mountain of thoughts on it. So Yeah, and as well as David uh, David Thompson and John Hyatt, who both had uh, commitments today they couldn't get out of. Uh, we definitely miss them today. But, uh, we're talking about a day's pay. Yep. <laughs> Glad to have Kirk here wearing his <laughs> Superman shirt. I'm actually wearing a Batman shirt today. I'm um, wearing an orange safety shirt. Yep. But uh, right. it so, is time for us yeah. to, to let go. So, uh, Kirk, would you like to take us out? Well, on behalf of all of us on Third Degree Burn, thank you for joining us. It's been an enjoyable two hours, and we look forward to seeing you next week. And we'll have another enjoyable tale from the uh, the multiverse, I guess. I'm Kirk Greenfield. I'm Brian Gillis. Man, we keep messing yeah. that up. We just got to <laughs> learn how to do it better. Go ahead, Tim. Say all right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm Tim Elliott. I'm Brian Hughes. And good night. Have fun. And I'm Kirk Greenfield. Good night. <laughs> it's only one twenty-five in the afternoon. Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Two Two Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T. 
B-Y-R-N-E-D, at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn. <laughs>